0: Anyway, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and we'll get into the Word tonight. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, if you don't have your Bible, the scriptures are going to be on the screen. But, uh, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, page 355, in this Bible. And by the way, you might want to uh, applaud about this. We closed on the land Monday our land so and uh, we'll uh we'll have a time where we can go down and dedicate it to the lord i actually uh talked to george i was here at the church george was uh, there doing the paperwork and all and i talked to him about 4:30, 4:15, 4:30 on monday he said it's all done it's finalized it's our land so about five i left the office drove down hopped the fence was kind of hoping that someone would come up and tell me to get off the land. But anyway, <laughs> hopped the fence and went out on it and just prayed and dedicated it to the Lord. But let me tell you, I got the sense that it's already been dedicated to the Lord. And I was reminded when I was out there that we have a, a family in our church. Actually, if you have uh, four and five-year-olds, it's Mary Jackson that the children call Miss Mary. They knew the owner of the land that you know, was a long time ago. They grew up in this area, and he was an on-fire Christian. And uh, I just felt like he dedicated it to the Lord a long time ago, and so I was just kind of rededicating it to the Lord. So, anyway, um, I'm going to uh, preach tonight on the prayer of Jabez. How many of you have read that book, the prayer of Jabez? Can I see your hand? All right. I want you to get the book if you haven't gotten it. We have copies of it tonight available after service. Let me make a statement about it. It is not a magic formula. I don't believe that that this prayer is a magic formula. What I do believe is that it is a truth that God is reinstating to the body of Christ right now. I believe that there are some of you who have lived by this truth for years. And maybe you didn't pray these certain words but you've asked God to bless you and to increase you for the kingdom's sake. And he's done that. You could if I asked you to stand up and give a testimony, probably many of you could give a testimony. But I believe this book adds some things to that prayer of asking God to bless us that we need. And so we're going to talk about it tonight. Now, the prayer of Jabez is in verses nine and ten of first Chronicles four. But we're not going to start in verses nine and ten. The reason we're not is because I think you need to understand the context. And you probably will not understand for a moment why I'm doing this, but you will in a moment. We're going to start at verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 1. The sons of Judah were per- Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. And Rei, the son of Shobal, begot Jahath, and Jahath begot Ahulamah and Lahad. These were the families of the Zorathites. Now, hold your excitement. I know those first two verses lit your fire. Just hold your excitement. It gets better. Verse 3, These were the sons of the father of Etan, Jezreel, Isma and Idbash, and the name of their sister was Hazeloponi. I did not know that. I did not know that their sister was named hazel Aponi. Verse 4. And Penuel was the father of Gedor, and Ezer was the father of Hushah. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, the father of Bethlehem. I think you're beginning to pick up why I'm reading these verses. Are you picking it up? Because they're boring. That's why. But, well, let's just keep reading because I, I want you to understand something about these two verses. Verse 5. And Asher, the father of Tekoa, had two wives. I didn't know that either. See, you wouldn't know these things if you don't read the Bible. Helah and Nerah. Nerah bore him Ahuzim, Hefer. that's a good name, Hefer. <laughs> Timani and Hashtari, these were the sons of Nairah. The sons of Helah were Zareth, Zohar, and Ethan. And Kaz begot Anub, Zobibah, and the families of Aharhel, the son of Haram. Now, was that good? Wasn't that exciting? Now, before we read verses 9 and 10, I just want us to glance at verse 11. 11 and 12. Chela, the brother of Shuha, begot Meher, who was the father of Eston, Eston begot Beth Rafa, Passia, and Tehennah, the father of Irnahash, these were the men of Rekah. Now, the reason I did that is because I want you to know it keeps going. Exactly. And now, how many of you have well I want to ask you this. How many well, how many of you when you're reading the Bible? I'll start to say read through the Bible, but I don't want to embarrass you if you haven't. But how many of you, when reading through the Bible, have come to the begots and you fudged a little bit. E.V. Hill was preaching one time and he said, I was reading the begots the other day. So-and-so begot so-and-so and and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so and and pretty soon I begot tired. (laughs) Well, I understand that. Now, let me give you the background. First Chronicles 4 is a genealogy. It's of the tribe of Judah. But, This genealogy starts in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And do you know who it starts with? Take a guess. Adam. And it goes through chapter 9. This is the longest genealogy in the Bible. It is nine chapters and has 500 names. It starts with Adam and it goes through David's grandchildren. And if you don't understand, and by the way, when it got down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you remember God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And how many sons did Israel have? Twelve, the twelve tribes of Israel. What this does is when it gets to the twelve sons of Israel, then it goes through each man's lineage. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Asher, Gad. It goes right through all twelve of them. Are you following me? But it covers from Adam to uh, David. Now, Adam was born four thousand born. Adam was created. Let's get to get that right. Four thousand BC. Noah came along from Genesis one to Genesis six. Noah was in Genesis six. Adam was four thousand BC. Noah was fifth. Uh, t- pardon me. Twenty five hundred BC. 1,500 years from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6. A lot of people don't know that. That's because they lived a long time back then. Do you remember Methuselah? Lived 969 years. It's a long time. So they were living a long time. From Noah to Abraham, Noah was at 2,500 B.C. Abraham was at 2,000 B.C. Moses was about 1,500 B.C. And David was about 1,000 B.C. Now remember this genealogy is from Adam to David's grandchildren. So Adam at 4000 BC, David at 1000 years before Christ. So how many years does this genealogy span? Over 3000 years. You following me? So 9 chapters and 3000 years of genealogy is 1st Chronicles chapter 4, 1 through 9. And in verse Nine. I want you to notice the first statement of verse 9. First Chronicles 4, verse 9. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. All right, stop right there. Listen to me. Ezra wrote Chronicles. Ezra is doing a 3,000-year genealogy. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the gene- genealogy, he says, Now we come to someone worth stopping and talking about. Now we come to someone who was more honorable. I mean, it's good to be honorable, but it's good to be more honorable. He says, now I want to tell you about someone. He's in this genealogy is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, David, the biggies. They're in this genealogy. And basically, see, this is so amazing. He says, let me tell you something. Now, now I want to tell you about someone who's worth stopping for a moment. And talk about This is the only one he stops and talks about in the whole genealogy. That's why I wanted to show you that. It's amazing. And these are the only two verses in the Bible on Jabez. Only two verses. There's one other verse, but it mentions the city of Jabez. And what most theologians believe is that this man was so blessed that they named the city after him. Because God blessed him so much. All right, First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Duh. (laughs) Has there ever been a child that wasn't born in pain? Is there any woman here that can say, No matter how many drugs they gave you, You had no discomfort, no pain? It must have been unusual pain. She named him Jabez because she bore him in pain, and the root of that word is sorrow. Now verse 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. This is the prayer of Jabez. And enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And then Ezra says... So God granted him what he requested. Just these two verses. Jabez means pain or sorrow. This is the way he started. And your name is your destiny. His mother gave him the destiny sorrow or pain. As a matter of fact, there was another person that was named this by his mother, but his father changed his name. When Rachel bore Benjamin, she named him son of my sorrow because she was dying when she bore him. And his father changed his name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Jabez starts out with this name, sorrow. That was his destiny. What I'm here to tell you tonight, what is amazing about the prayer of Jabez is that God can change your destiny. No matter what, how you were growing up, no matter what you did, no matter what you've done in your past, God can change it. He's simply waiting for you to ask. It's that easy. Now, um, I have to be honest with you. You know I'm very transparent. My name could have been stupid. Because I did more stupid things growing up than any person you've probably ever met. My wife can attest to it. My parents can attest to it. They knew me by my first name in the emergency room. That's the truth. The police in the city where I grew up knew me. I did stupid things. And not just foolish, I mean stupid things. I always did. And listen to me, I will never run out of illustrations (laughs) because I did so many stupid things. Literally. One, I'll tell you about one. I was about 14, 15 years old. Went to a Valentine's banquet at church. And I wore white pants. That's stupid. (laughs) Teenagers should never wear white. That's stupid, see? So I wear white pants, white shirt. Now, one of the brilliant youth workers decided to have barbecue. But I was a good boy. I did exactly what my mother said. I put my napkin In my lap. And for the whole meal, I was, let me get here so you can see what I was doing. whole meal, I was wiping my hands on my napkin. But somewhere during the course of the meal, the napkin fell on the floor. So I was cleaning my hands on my pants. And when I stood up after the meal, <laughs> I could have been named stupid. But I want to tell you something. I got saved when I was 19. And before I've ever heard anything about the prayer of Jabez, I had a belief in my heart that if God didn't bless me, I wouldn't be able to accomplish anything for him. And so before I ever heard anything about this, as a matter of fact, I heard a, pa- a, a pastor named Leonard Fox. Preach on this way before the book was ever written, about 13 years ago. And he preached on the prayer of Jabez. But I thought to myself, I've already been doing that. Because since I got saved, I knew if God didn't bless me, I was in trouble. So I'm telling you, God has changed my destiny. He can change your destiny. Now, here's the prayer. Number one, here's the first part of the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. First of all, he is asking God. To bless Him. Some of us believe that God, you know, uh, wants to bless us, but the problem is we don't ever ask Him. We don't ask Him to bless. We just kind of feel like, well, He just will bless us. Or some of us don't ask because we feel guilty. We feel like we've already been blessed too much. Or we don't feel worthy enough to be blessed. So we don't ask because we don't feel worthy. Whatever it is, there's a catch-22. Satan tells us somehow, don't ask God to bless you. That's a selfish prayer. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. We've got to get over this feeling that we grew up with that it's wrong to ask God to bless us. As a matter of fact, later in this message, I'm going to show you this is not a selfish prayer. As a matter of fact, it's a very unselfish prayer. It's very unselfish. But Satan will give you a million reasons not to ask. You're not worthy. You don't pray and read your Bible enough. You still have this terrible sin in your life. Wait till you overcome that sin. You're too selfish. You're always praying for yourself. You ought to be praying for Africa. You ever heard something like that? He'll just tell you everything to get you not to pray. But it is his will and his desire to bless us. I want you to know that. God wants us to bless you. He's simply waiting for you to ask and he has chosen prayer as the vehicle for blessings to travel in. Did you hear that? He has chosen prayer as the vehicle for blessings to travel in. In the book there's a story about a man that gets to heaven and he finds out all these blessings that God wanted to give him but he never asked. All he had to do was ask. Now, God, over and over in the Word, tries to get us to pray. Over and over in the Word, He tries to get us to ask. I mean, it's all through the Word. As a matter of fact, He even says, listen, after you ask, then seek. And after you seek, then knock. And by the way, if you want to know what the difference is, I can give you a very simple illustration uh, between asking and seeking. It's the difference between a man and a woman, the way they drive. A woman will ask, but a man will seek. Is that right? A man is not going to ask for directions. My family has pleaded with me. Pleaded with me. Please dad. Please dad. Pull over and ask. No. No way. I am not going to ask. We may be going in the wrong direction, but we're making great time. There's no way I'm going to ask. You know why? Because I have to admit I don't know where I am. Men don't like to do that. So, basically, pride keeps us from asking. Are you hearing me? So pride keeps us from asking God to bless us. You may have never heard this. Prayer is the opposite of pride. Because prayer says, I can't do it on my own. I can't make it without you, God. If you don't do it, I'm in trouble. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? I studied. I mean, I studied every concordance. I studied. Uh, I read dictionaries. I thought, you know, I just, what's a definition of blessed? I asked people, what does it mean to be blessed? And you know, it stumped them. I, I, well, uh, you know, I, good thing. You know, we just didn't know. Well, I came up with a definition, my definition of blessed. This is what I believe it means to be blessed. To be set apart for success, happiness, and prosperity. A divine enabling for success. If I were writing a dictionary on the word blessed, this is the definition I would give it. To be set apart, obviously by God. To be sanctified, to be dedicated, be consecrated. God sets this person apart for success, happiness, and prosperity and it is a divine enabling. When the blessing of God is on you, it is a divine enabling for success. And I'm not talking about just financial things. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about whether you're a homeschooling mother, whether you're a, 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 you know, a, a doctor or an engineer, whatever you are. Everything you do, being a husband, a father, a brother, a, a mother, it's a, it's a divine enabling from God. God wants to bless us and He wants to bless us abundantly. See, Jabez, I like this prayer because he said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. You know what that means in today's language? I pray that you would bless me and that you bless me a lot. Not just bless me. Bless me indeed. Bless me a bunch, God. Bless me. Give me everything you've got. That's what I want. He wants to bless you. Here's the second part of the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Now, what's your territory? Some of this is not in the book. Again, I, I, I started trying to prepare the message by going down the book, you know, and I told the guys, I said, boy, it just wasn't going. So the next day I thought, I want to prepare the message like I've never read a book on this. And obviously some of the books going to come out because it's in me now. I've read it. I think it's a great book. But the next day I began trying to just prepare like I normally do. And boy, it just began to flow, began to flow, you know, like the definition of blessed. Well, what is your territory? You're asking God to enlarge your territory. What is your territory? Well, I'll tell you what your territory is. It's everywhere you go and everything you do. That's your territory. Everywhere you go and everything you do. Where you live is your territory. Where you work is your territory. Where you serve in church, whatever. If you're you're a a stay-at-home mom and you homeschool your children and you sing on the worship team and you teach in children's ministry, that's your territory. And what you're saying is, God, I want to be the best homeschool mom. I want to be the best person on the worship team. I want to be the best teacher in the children's ministry. I want to be the best wife. I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best neighbor, because where you live, that I can be. I want you to enlarge my territory. And your territory could also be defined as your opportunities for ministry. See, what you're saying when you say, oh, that you would bless me, is you're asking for divine enabling. What you're asking for when you say, and enlarge my territory, is divine direction. God, give me divine direction every day as to where you want me to go and who you want me to minister to. Now, most of us, when we think about our territory, use the wrong formula, the wrong equation. Let me give you the equation most of us use. Most of us use this equation. My abilities plus my training plus my, plus my experiences plus my past. We don't want to forget our past, even though God says to. Plus my past equals my territory. That's the mathematical equation most of us use. Okay, let me try to figure out how much can I do for God? Well, how many abilities do I have? How about my training, my experiences? And I can't forget my past. It's always there. It's not always there. So, and then, okay, this, must be, this, this is how much I can do for God. Well, let me give you a better equation to figure out your territory. Here it is. My willingness plus God's supernatural power equals my territory is that good my willingness plus god's power that's my territory i mean if god wants me to preach to thousands i can preach to thousands because i just have to be willing and his power look at this scripture philippians 2 13 says for it is god who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure It is God who works in you. Now, I want to talk about that because people say, well, I know God wants to work through me. Well, let's analyze that statement for a moment. Who's doing the work? Who? God is, right? God. It's God who works in us. So I know God wants to work through me. Well, who's doing it? God is. The through me isn't that big of a problem. It isn't even that much of the sentence. God wants to work through me. That's not the, that. See, it's God who's doing the work. It's God's ability. God wants to enlarge your territory, so He can enlarge the kingdom. I want you to hear that. See, if I live, I live in uh, Keller. God wants to enlarge my territory, the place even where I live. He wants to have my ministry span to my neighbors. Why? Because when He enlarges my territory, He enlarges the kingdom. When God enlarges Gateway Church in Southlake, He enlarges the kingdom. When, when God enlarges in, in uh, George when he's down at work and a guy comes in and he's on the verge of divorce and he's sitting there at work and instead of talking about work, he starts talking about how God can change your marriage, then He's enlarged His territory. You understand what I'm saying? It's your influence. God wants to enlarge it for the kingdom's sake. I was at... Um, Best Buy a while back, and I was buying something, and uh, I had—I was buying it through the church, so I had a, a tax receipt, you know, so we wouldn't have to pay, and I said, I, I'm buying this through the church, and so I have a, a tax exempt form, and this lady goes like this. She leans across the counter, and she said, are you from the church? And I said, yeah. So she leans back across the counter and says, I need to go to church. I said, I can help you. I know how to get to church. I can help you. Then I'm reaching back in my bag to get something else, and she leans back across the counter, looks like this, and she says, I need to be saved too. What's happening here? I mean, this this is easy pickings, you know. What's happening, God is enlarging my territory. He's enlarging my ministry opportunities. I can remember one time getting on an elevator at a hospital, and just out of courtesy, said to this lady, "How you doing?" Big tears. She said, "Not very well. I see my territory just got larger. Are y'all following me?" God, I want you to bless me, and I want you to enlarge my territory. Verse, uh, the third thing is, he says, that your hand would be with me. This is the dependence part of the prayer. See, what happens is, if you begin asking God to bless you and enlarge your territory, he's going to do it. And long about now, you're going to realize, uh-oh, if God doesn't bless me, and if he's not with me, I'm in trouble. Because I asked Him to bless me and asked Him to enlarge my ministry. Now i got all these people coming to me wanting answers. And you begin to pray, oh, your hand needs to be on me. I need your hand. I need the hand of God. I need your anointing. See, the first was divine enabling. The second was divine direction. This is divine anointing. I need your anointing on me. I need your power. This is when we begin to ask for His help. Acts 11, verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Isn't that an amazing scripture? For the New Testament, talking about the New Testament church. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Think about it. If you, if you begin to receive more blessing and consequently more territory, are you going to need more power? Absolutely. A basketball in my hands is worth about $19. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth about $33 million. So it depends on whose hands it's in. Oh, that your hand would be with me. Can I tell you something? You're worth more than you think you are when God's hand is on you. It's his hand that does it. It's his power. Here's the first, fourth part of the prayer. And that you would keep me from evil. This is a brilliant strategy for maintaining blessing. Do you realize that blessing is also a temptation? See, some people say poverty is. I'm going to tell you what. You really don't get tempted until you have something to be tempted with. <laughs> That's when the temptation comes in. When you begin to have some power and some influence and some anointing on your life. That's when the temptation comes in. So this is a brilliant strategy for maintaining the blessing of God. How many men have lost the blessing of God? God blessed them and enlarged them and put His hand on them, but they didn't stay away from evil. See, this is a great prayer, by the way. He says and that you would keep me from evil. Listen to this. Not through evil. Not through, from evil. Let me explain what I mean. Matthew 6:13, Jesus said when you pray, this is the way you should pray. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from, not through, from the evil one. In other words, we don't even want to be anywhere around temptation." He didn't say, when you pray to God, you pray, God help me make it through temptation. He said, help me not be anywhere close to temptation, God. Nowhere close to it. And then, 1 Corinthians 6.18, very short, but it says, flee sexual immorality. Guess what? It doesn't say, try to overcome it. Are you all following me? It says, run from it. Get as far away as possible as you can. This is my prayer. My prayer is not God help me make it through. My prayer is I don't even want to see it. I don't want to be around it. I want to be so caught up in you. You know the time when you're most vulnerable is right after God's used you. Right after God's done something in your life big. You're most vulnerable. The guy that uh, wrote the book is actually the, the guy that started the ministry walked through the Bible. And he said he was speaking at a place and. He got on a plane, and he was just praying the prayer of Jabez to himself silently. He's been praying it for 30 years. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. But he was concentrating on, and that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil. Because he knew he'd just spoken to a lot of people, and God had really moved. He said, oh, that you would keep me from evil. God, keep me from evil. God, keep me from evil. He got on the plane, and he had to sit in the middle seat rather than the aisle or the window. And both men sitting beside him opened up a pornographic magazine. Both of them. And he said to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to keep my eyes shut the whole flight. You know, I need your help. God, that you would keep me from evil. I don't want to see this right now. And he said, all of a sudden, the man on his left cursed and put the magazine up. Just like that. And then the man on his right curse to, and put the magazine up. And about halfway through the flight, he got to thinking about it, and he got to laughing so hard that they asked him, what are you laughing about, both men? He said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. (laughs) This is a prayer, God, that you would keep us from evil. I was on a uh, ski trip one time. I was actually ministering in uh, Denver, Colorado, and we went skiing one day during the day. There's uh, four uh, uh, four of us who were pastors, we went skiing. And I was skiing with a guy who had never skied before. He fell, I think, about 57 times on the way to the ski lift. <laughs> and we were trying to help him. And we made it up, you know, one time about halfway up a green for him and came back down. We were going to do it again. He kept falling. He just, it just, it's continual. I mean, he, you could just look at him. He'd fall down, you know. And so uh, all of a sudden, the chair comes around. Well, when the chair comes around, you got to go. So I scoot up. Well, he, poof, he falls. <laughs> well, this lady who was standing in line behind us, she just scooted up. And I'm, you know, you look this way. And I sit down. I turn around. There's this lady sitting there. So here we go up the ski lift, you know. And I look back, and the guy, you know, he's like this on the ground. So I, I'm riding up this lady. I don't know. And all of a sudden, she says, she starts talking to me. And then she says to me, would you come by my room later tonight? Just kind of straight out, you know? And I said, uh, no, thank you. I'm, I'm married. Trying to be polite, you know? And she said, uh, I, so am I. And all of a sudden, before I realized it, I said, well, I'm married to two people. <laughs> and she said... Excuse me? I said, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Debbie, and I'm married to a man named, no, before I said that, let me just, that was the next part. I said to her, I'm married to a woman and a man. I remember saying that. She said, oh, you are. Oh, you, you know. So I said, yes, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Debbie and a man named Jesus. And I just shared my testimony. Now, you've got to understand something. I got on the ski lift, and I knew him, it wasn't very long, I knew her intentions were wrong. But you're on a ski lift, you know. What do you do, you know? And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, Satan, I I hate you. I mean, here I am. I can't do anything about it. And all of a sudden, when this came out of my mouth, I thought, "Uh uh-uh, she can't do anything about it. I'm not the one who stuck. She's the one who stuck. And so I just gave her both barrels. I said, and when then when I was nineteen, I got saved. And I had to, you got and you'll never be happy. And well, I just gave it to her, you know. And we got off the lip, and she just took off. And that you would keep me from evil. Now, the book covers these four parts, but I believe we need to also learn the last phrase. So I actually made it five parts. And this is why: the last phrase is that I might not cause pain. The first time I ever, after reading this book, the first time I ever prayed the prayer, I said, oh, that you would bless me indeed and that you would enlarge my territory and that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. And when I said it, God reminded me of the evil that I have been involved in in my life. And I'm never... I've never hidden, I've never made any bones with you about that I have a very bad past. God just reminded me of it, and he reminded me of the pain that I've caused people because of evil. You see, you need to understand something. Evil causes pain. This is an important part of this prayer. I've caused my parents' pain. I've caused myself pain. I've caused my friends' pain. I've caused my wife' pain. Because I was involved in evil. How many, think about this. Have you ever said something and no sooner were the words out of your mouth you wish you could take them back? You said something evil and what happened? You caused pain. And normally, we cause pain with the people we love. Is that right? Oh, that you would bless me, enlarge me, uh, put your hand on me, Keep me from evil. But say the last part, that I might not cause pain. Because it's a reminder to us that Satan causes destruction. Sin brings devastation. I pray this for my family. I pray over my children. God, I pray you'll bless Josh today. I pray you'll bless him indeed. I pray you'll enlarge his territory. I pray your hand will be with him. And I pray you'll keep him from evil that he might not cause pain. And it sounded a little strange the first time I prayed it, but you know you know this as a fact. If a family member or a child goes into sin, it causes pain. Not just for the family, for them. That I might not cause pain. This is important for us to pray. As a matter of fact, I wish you'd pray this for me every day. I would like for, for Gateway Church to pray the prayer of Jabez over me every day. That'd be great. Oh, that you would bless Robert indeed and enlarge his territory, and that your hand would be with him, that as he's preparing messages, he'll get more revelation than he's ever gotten in his life, and that you would keep him from evil, that he might not cause pain. Prayed over our staff, prayed over the entire church, prayed over your family. See, some people feel like that this is a selfish prayer, but I think it's a very unselfish prayer. You all know why? Because Jabez started out causing pain. And the whole reason he tells us why he's praying this prayer right now, he tells us, he says, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to enlarge me. I want your hand to be upon me that I might not cause and keep me from evil. And then he says, because I don't want to cause pain. I came into this world causing pain and sorrow, and I don't want to cause sorrow anymore. See, it's amazing me. God put this in the Bible, these two verses. I think he put it in the Bible to let us know that he hears the prayers of regular people. Not not big shots, just regular people. That's Jabez. And Jabez says, I started out this way. Listen, Jabez's destiny wasn't being blessed. His destiny was pain and sorrow. His mother had spoken it over him. Have you had things spoken over you? You're stupid. You, You can't learn. You'll never succeed. You'll never go. You'll never succeed without me. Well, that's a big one. You'll never make it without me. Here's one. You have a learning disability. Can I tell you something? Our generation is the most adept at putting labels on children that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm going to tell you what they are. They're not labels or curses. They're curses. And the parents need to say no. No, our child is blessed, and our child is blessed indeed. If you've had a label put on you, I'm here to tell you tonight, God has another label for you. He has a good label for you. And see, what's great about this prayer is it's an upward cycle. Cycle. You just get better. You just go higher and higher. Oh, that you have blessed me indeed. And he blesses you and enlarges you. And then you pray it again. And you just keep going up and up and up. There are three things in Scripture that open the heavens. One is obedience. The second is giving. Three things, if you'll study, that open the heavens and open heavens represent blessings. Obedience, giving, and prayer. I'll show you one scripture. Luke 321, when Jesus was baptized, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. And some people have never seen while he prayed. We know the heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended and the Father spoke, but it was while he prayed. And there are many references to this. See, let me tell you what prayer is like. Prayer is like poking holes in a canopy full of water over you. Think about a huge canopy of water, full of water, and those waters represent the blessings of God. And prayer is just sitting there poking holes in that canopy. But let me tell you what happens with water. And let me tell you what happens with blessings. Eventually, that canopy is going to tear. And you're going to get drenched with the blessings of God. That's what prayer is. Just about a month ago, see, I knew God wanted us to have land. I knew God wanted us to have land in South Lake. I knew God wanted us to have a temporary building to move into so we could have a Sunday morning service while we were building our building. But let me tell you, I learned something just a month ago because I knew, well, it's, it's your will, so it's going to happen. It's your will, so it's going to happen. And one Saturday morning I was up here. Most Saturday mornings I come up here and just pray. And one Saturday morning I was up here just praying, and all of a sudden the burden just got so strong on me. I said, God, we need land. And I don't know if anyone else was in the building because I might have scared them. I mean, I just began to yell, God, we need land. Churches three other churches have started in South Lake in the last three years, and all of them bought land outside of South Lake. this is a stronghold and I stood up and I began to take authority over spirits that have held this, cap- this area captive and didn't let any church really grow and, and reach people and disciple people and I' for about two hours and I took, after I take authority I, got, I fell back on my knees, God, we need land, we need a building, we need a place to meet God and I just began to pray. I mean it just came on me. And at the end of that two hours, the peace of God just came in the room and the Lord said, it's done. It's done. And I learned something, even as a pastor, because we know God wants to bless us. But somehow we think, well, God will just do it. He'll just do it. Let me tell you something. He's waiting for us to pray. If you want to be blessed, you have to ask. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.